The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The Renault Selection used car event is now on. If you want to save thousands, check out this month's offers, including low APR finance, two years warranty and roadside assistance. Terms and conditions apply. You're very welcome to Thursday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Well, we're really saddened today, and especially in the last hour, to hear news of the passing of Fergal Quinn. Yes, the founder of Super Quinn. He had strong links with the North East. He passed away after a short illness at the age of 82. He opened his first shop in Dundalk, Quinn's Supermarket. I wonder, is there anybody listening today worked there? Uh, it opened in 1960. Is there anyone with us that was there, have memories? of Fergal if you have give us a shout uh, 1850 715 by phone or 086 658 by whatsapp or text Dundalk big links Drogheda latterly yes he was a man who came to town and made an impact on the Boyne side local heroes do you remember the series in RTE back 2011 time well I did interview uh, Fergal round then and a man who worked closely with him on the local heroes is on the line with me Con O'Donoghue afternoon Con Good afternoon, Jerry. Con, were you the chair of that group? Yes, I was the chair of that group, and I had the great pleasure of working with, with Fergal. Um, I suppose, first and foremost, what I would say about Fergal was he was an absolute gentleman. Um, he was just as nice as he seemed when you saw him on television. Um, he was enthusiastic, he was kind, and he was interested in people, which, was, which is a, you know, a, a very strong trait in, 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 in people. He was so nice, wasn't he? Because I had the pleasure, I think it was a couple of times I met him, round then and the Samson's thing and, and, and once subsequently. But what you saw was what you got, as you say, Con. But come back to this initiative in Drogheda. The country was on its knees in 2011 and the revitalisation of towns around the country was something on everybody's mind. Absolutely. He had an impact, a huge impact, hadn't he? Had he had an absolutely massive impact. And it's ironic that today is, is the day that he passed. I met Adrian Lynch, who is now the channel controller in RT this morning. And he was the person who made the Local Heroes programme at the time for Animal Television. My. Um, but at the time, uh, like unemployment and immigration were commonplace around Ireland. Um, Andrada was on its knees. Mm. Um, and what Fergal did was he, he brought energy and enthusiasm to Drogheda. Um, and he brought people together and reminded us uh, of the importance of working together in order to achieve goals. Um, he was a catalyst for a lot of good change in, in, in Drogheda. He began to get people thinking that, you know, Drogheda isn't that bad. It has an awful lot to offer. There's so much that we should be proud of. Um, and he taught us to, to, to dream big and be ambitious. And he really was passionate about it, wasn't anything that man did. His passion came through. Absolutely. And his passion didn't stop when, when the filming stopped. Mm. Um, he was good enough to invite me up to the Shannon about six months later. And we were having something to eat. And he was asking me about people. He was asking me about such and such a shopkeeper and such and such a person who was doing this and that. And how are they getting on? So he didn't just switch off when the programme was over. He was so interested in people that he still remembered their names. And he was still interested to, to see how they were doing. And wasn't he honoured? He switched on, I think, the Christmas lights one year. And that, I know that meant a lot to him. He did. He, he switched them on in West Street uh, and he was absolutely delighted to have been asked. Yeah. It, it, from, from memory, he was kind of surprised that he was asked because he mm-hmm. was kind of, well, why would you ask me? Yes. Um, so he was very humble, you know, uh, and he maybe didn't see the changes that he, that he was about to be the catalyst for Andrada at the time. He was doing what, what he did best. He was a highly successful businessman who shared his knowledge and his passion with others. Mm. And 
you would have to say, Con, subsequently what's happened, really. You had the Maritime Festival, the Arts Festival we were just talking about yesterday pre- preceded that, I know, date-wise. But uh, the FLA coming to Drogheda, the improvements that happened around that, little touches like that. Would you say Fergal Quinn's imprimatur, you know, travelled on and does travel on? Oh, without a doubt. His fingerprints are all over all of those things that you've just mentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, he he for, he helps people forge links with organisations in in America. So Yapstone came to Drogheda through a visit at the time from a local heroes group uh, to um, the States. Um, he encouraged us to look at the river and look at the, the Boyneside Trail as a resource, mm. as something hugely positive, when we were all just driving over the river, not even looking at it. Mm. Um, and there's no doubt that... that Fergal started the process, whether anybody realises or not, of the flag coming to Drogheda. Mm. He, was, he was saying, you have so much to offer tourists, you have so much to offer people, you need to go out and start talking about yourselves. And there's no doubt that the flag, he has a little piece of why the flag is in Drogheda. That's a big tribute to him to say that as well. And of course, the second year of the flag happening this year and the launch coming up in the next week or so. Um, Con, it's a sad day. A very successful businessman. Big links, as I said, with Dundalk. He set up his first store there, Quinn's Supermarket as well. And, you know, he, he will be remembered for many a day to come. Absolutely, he will. And, and on behalf of all of the volunteers that were involved in, in Local Heroes, we would extend our sympathies to his wife, Denise, and his children. And I think he has 19 grandchildren. Mm. And, of course, to his assistant, Anne, who was incredibly dedicated to helping him achieve so much, particularly in Drogheda. She was with him every time he came here. Yes. She was, she was part of, of, of the Fergal Quinn, you know, uh, piece. Um, but look, at the end of the day, regardless of what he did for Drogheda, he was a, a lovely, lovely gentleman. Mm. And that's how I rem- always remember him. And it's the loveliest way, Con, that anybody can remember. And I'm going to let you go because I know you're busy today and thank you for taking time out of your Sorry. busy schedule to join me. And I am going to play a piece now <laughs> of uh, that interview, or from that interview I did with Fergal on the 5th of September 2011, ahead of Local Heroes. And I began uh, by talking to him about Samson's Butchers because he did an individual project with them before Local Heroes came about. And here is myself and Fergal and Pori Cairns is here as well back on that day in 2011. I must say I was very impressed and I was delighted to go back to Samson's again and see it last week because I hadn't been down since the <clears throat> since we'd finished the programme. And I think he's doing a smashing job and the helpers he has with him, he's Jerry and he's Frank and he's a newcomer as well whom I didn't meet there now. But the, the, the proposals we'd made, he just grabbed hold of them and said, I'll happily go with them. Uh, it, now, in, in his case, it took a little bit longer because he wanted to make some changes to the shop itself and to get planning permission. And it turned out the shop was something like 200 years old and he had to get heritage permission as well before they could make the changes. So it was touch and go whether we'd get it done in time. Everything else, all the rest of the programs had been finished weeks ahead of time. This one was only hours ahead of time. But he's done a smashing job, really. And in spite of the fact that his father died only yes. a week or two before we the, the last mm. program, but he's a great guy, and and um, his mother had her big birthday last week. I won't say what it is, but uh, I sent her a card. No, you, know, you keep a lady's uh, age. <laughs> well, at a, at a certain stage, you 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 begin to they, they begin to get very proud of their age. <laughs> I think she's at the stage where she was. That's very great proud stuff. Of her age. We wish her well, and and it looks well. I was by it myself there on Saturday. It really is looking great. Now you mean you didn't stop and buy anything? Uh, well, I'd be such a shot. I won't name another place, but I'm a sort of a regular. Yeah, I'm a regular in shoots. You know what I mean? And when you have your butcher shop but I promise you I will drop in I 
will. I'll have to. I'll have to sample what you the turnaround you've been. You're, acted you're there. committed on air. Now, I'm Jerry. committed on air to do that. They'll kill me down in shoots. But anyway, that's the way it goes. Fergal Quinn has asked me to, so I certainly will. Um, draw did this whole project uh, typical of maybe any other big town in Ireland where you know there's something needed at this point in time to give it that lift this is an overall campaign by RT now not just by RT television but RT television RT radio RT internet as well the online uh, RT now what they're saying is we want to do this we, we want to pick a town and we call it Local Heroes at Town Fights Back. And I went on the Pat Kennedy show oh, a few weeks ago um, on a Monday and uh, announced what we were looking for a town. And within 24 hours, we had 50 towns applied. Um, and <clears throat> some of them very small, some of them very big, some of them, you know. But um, I was delighted when eventually Drogheda was selected. Uh, because it really, it's Drada is, is a town I know reasonably well over the years because I started work in Dundalk, um, my first shop in Dundalk, but I'd grown up in, to every summer in Scaries. And we used to send, my father had Red Island Holiday Camp, and we used to send the guests who were all English, practically all English, and we'd say, and today's tour is to the Algiers of the North, Drada, the shopping <laughs> centre of the North. And you know, it was great between. <laughs> By the way, we do have Gaddafi's. We do. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was it was great. So we got to know Drada very well, and um, we we had tours, you know. And we said, if you've been on the tour last year, don't worry, because we change the history every year, so that people don't have to to do. And one one of the things I, that excited me about Drada is that Drada has so much just outside the town as well as inside the town. And if we can manage to uh, to encourage everybody in in Ireland to think now, not just thinking of tourists, to think of Drada as the bedroom, as the source, as the centre of that whole area because there's the Boyne Valley but there's also everything we have south of, of Drada and everything north of Drada and Drada is so close to to um, let's say the airport I, I imagine Dublin Airport is as, sorry Drada Airport is as close to Drada as it is to Dublin I, I, so all, all there, there are, this is not something that that, um, that others will do this is what the people of Drada can do themselves they really have a smashing benefit here and and the things that they can sell are you know in, in, in from a tourist point of view as well as everything else. I mean, the, the do you call it the viaduct, the big railway bridge? I, I had a history. I remember going to the Gaeltuck many years ago when I was about six or seven years of age. And in those days, this is way back in the 40s, and I had a penny in one pocket and a half crown in the other pocket. And the penny was to, no, it was a halfpenny, to throw over the, as we went over the railway bridge. But I, on the other hand, the half crown was the three weeks pocket money. But we were going over the bridge and somebody said, there's the bridge. Oh, quick, quick. And I put my hand in the wrong pocket, threw the half crown away. And I had no, I had nothing for, I had nothing for, the, for the remaining three weeks in the Gale Tuck. That'll be found someday as an artefact of history and all these visitors will be coming to see. That was Fergal Quinn's half crown that he threw over the bridge when he was a nipper all those years ago. Can I ask you about that? You're bringing a team with you to draw it, aren't you? Do you have a template or a strategy, Fergal, that you're going to implement here? And I, I mentioned this, I touched on this meeting about Wednesday night. Uh, are you going to listen on that night to see what can be added yeah. to that? Just I'll correct you one thing. What we're going to implement, we're not going to implement. What we're going to do is make proposals, okay. uh, suggestions, encourage new way of thinking. And we brought some experts along who are good at doing that. But the work is going to have to be done by the people of Drogheda themselves. And I think there's a great opportunity. For instance, among the people we have is Jerry Kennelly. Now, Jerry Kennelly is an entrepreneur who sold his business last year down in Kerry for I forget how many. 150. 150 million. That's yeah. Yeah. And he says, I want to help Ireland. I want to help 
the people of Ireland to become more entrepreneurial. So he's coming down at, uh, and how he'll do that, I think, well, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. There's another man called Noel Toulon. Now, Noel Toulon is an expert. He was very much involved in the creation of the brand of um, Bailey's Irish Cream. And he's since then worked in a whole lot of other companies, but he's very much in, in, in tourism. And I, I talked to him two weeks ago about Drada and he, he'd been down here on his own and he's just bubbling with energy and enthusiasm, not to do it himself, but to make proposals to get people thinking and uh, do on that basis. Um, there's Gary Joyce, whom I also know. Now, Gary is a strategic thinker and her expert would be in branding and she would be able to do that. Now, I've known Gary in the past. I think she's very good. She, she will be particularly good at that. Um, there's Robert McGillifarig. And he's a recruitment expert and he'd be looking at the fact that there's quite a lot of unemployment mm. in Drada and his job uh, will be to make suggestions as to how the people of Drada could perhaps overcome that. And one of the others is a man called Pat Savage. He's a business consultant. He mainly concentrates on the SMEs, on the small and medium-sized businesses. Um, so we think they're just some of those that we have coming down. So we're not going to do the work. They're going to make proposals. What they're hoping to do is to encourage new ways of thinking. And the thinking is going to come from Drada and from the people of Drada. Yes, an extract from a lengthier interview I did with Fergal Quinn back in 2011. And we'll podcast that one a little later on. He passed away, in case you're just joining us, Fergal Quinn, earlier today at the age of 82. And we remember him on late lunch this afternoon. Uh, Some of your messages, Gerry. The passing of Fergal Quinn is truly sad. I had the pleasure of working with his mother and her husband uh, at Red Island in Skerries. I worked as a hairstylist and a musician there. And uh, it was owned by the Quinn family. It was indeed, Vera. And thanks for your nice message today. Uh, somebody else says, I'm nearly sure Fergal Quinn saved the dubs as well when he sponsored the team. Oh, sure. That man had so many fingers in so many pies and made a difference. It's uh, remarkable. But we do remember Fergal Quinn today and may he rest in peace and sympathy to his family. Next up on Late Launch, we're returning to the story of the Herringals in North County Dublin. <laughs> Tom Cardiff's on the line from Balbriggan. Does that uh, make the hair stand on the back of your neck, Tom? That was a very good impression. Is that yourself, James? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I'd make me fortune. That's the real McCoy. That's the herring gulls themselves. Uh, Look, Tom. You them. I recognise that. Tom. I'm sure you do. Tom, just tell me this. You're a member of a committee there in Balbriggan that's been addressing this issue for a number of years. Is it really a, a big problem? Well, I mean, the old saying goes, Jerry, if you want to know my life, come and live with me, you know. Yeah. And um, so I suppose if I give you a couple of examples and I let you decide whether they're unusual or, or need mm. considered or not. Like one domestic example that... Uh, but could I just clarify, Jerry? anything I'm going to say to you is already on the record. Yes, I know that, I know that, and, yeah. And it's available on the Freedom of Information yes. to see what we've said, what the evidence has been given... And any response that came from the Department of Culture, Heritage and Agriculture. So mm. You can hear me, my comments and my views, but I'm only going to tell you stuff that can be tested and checked on the record. Yes. So example, an example of the problem. Right. So if I said, if I described a residential house in a housing estate, a semi-detached house, mm. With six seagull nests on the on the property, three on the on the garage, two on the extension, and one on the roof. That's six. That's twelve adult seagulls nesting on one house, uh, and a, a, eighteen eggs about to hatch. Mm. 
would that sound? It sounds, multiply that sound we heard a few moments ago by an enormous amount of times. And, of course, they have to be fed. Oh, well, you, you know, you get the noise. Yeah. But you also get what comes out the back end of them all, all over the place, right? Okay. Their faecal contamination. Yes. Right. So that's one domestic example. Now, I could give you many, many more. No, no. That's And, and I think that contexts it nicely. But here's the thing. Yesterday, you didn't hear it. I, I know you were away somewhere yesterday. We were looking for you. But Niall Hatch from Boardwatch Ireland, he, he did put his hand up and said it is a problem. But he said they are protected and they have to be dealt with in a certain way. Now, tell me this. You in Balbriggan. You have a derogation from the current law. What does that derogation mean? What can you do? Right, well, the derogation is a provision under the board's directive, which is granted by the Minister of the Day in the department, right? Okay. And the way the derogation works is it specifies that all species are protected and all of the different levels of prosecution and uh, all sorts of penalties if you if you break those protections. Yeah. But... At the bottom of the derogation, it says all of the above is waived in the following circumstances, which is Article 9 of the derogation. And the first uh, subset of the article is in the interests of public health and safety. The second one is in the interests of air safety, if you can, they can bring down airplanes. Yep. The third one is in the interests of other species, birds, fauna, right? Mm-hmm. And the fourth one is in the interest of, of crops, the food crops that go to people. So the EU derogation, the EU directive says all birds, uh, all birds are protected. Very strict penalties apply. But it also says all of the above protections are waived in the following circumstances, as I've described them to you. Yes, OK. And it's a matter for member states to administer those derogations and to report on the use of them back to the EU. Okay, have you benefited from a derogation? Have you been able to remove nests and eggs? Yes, the derogation that was granted in 2017 by Minister Humphreys followed protracted representation from all five of our TDs, the three councillors for Belbriggan, and and one of our MEPs, Lynn Boylan. So the, the five TDs, I can name them all to you, but there was clearly... Yeah, I, I know, I know. You've, you've, uh, they're unanimous in this, I see that. And the three councillors. Now, when we, uh, when we approached them first, they put their hands up and said, lads, we're, we're worried about this. It's, the habit of the day was to ridicule the issue, and any politicians that tried to bring it up were made a joke out of. Mm. Right? So the arrangement we made with our representatives was... If, you, if you're willing to support us, we won't ask you to do anything until we give you the evidence, and the evidence will be testable. And the kind of evidence we produced was the local evidence of the issues here, yep. and perhaps more importantly, the fact that every other country in Northern Europe, including Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and England, has, has recognised this problem for years, to quote an official from the department at a meeting with us in 2016, and has been addressing this problem for years under the derogation provisions of the Birds Directive. But if you have a derogation, Tom, right, and you've been able to do what you've been doing, what's the problem? Why are you worried? Does that derogation end, or have you to renew it, or what? Well, first of all, they only gave it for public safety. Yeah. Now, that, that's, that's unprecedented. The derogation actually specifies public health and safety. Mm. But withholding public health from the derogation lowered the bar to an extent that the council refused to get involved in the matter, 
right? In in the other countries that I've quoted to you, in high impact areas, nest and egg removal services are provided by municipal authorities as yes. a service. And there are different funding models for this. But the bottom line is, in Balbriggan, they left people in their 60s and 70s to their own devices to get up on roofs and take down these nests because there was no service for it. It was announced at the last minute. And even contractors were reluctant to do it because they weren't aware of the provision. Mm. So we have one example, and I, I can't name the person, you'll understand, Jerry, right? But he's a PSV driver. He's in his 60s. He has to be safe on the road, right? And he got up to take down a nest, and he was knocked off his roof and fell down onto the roof of his extension. Luckily, he fell onto the extension. And he did himself serious injury and damaged his extension roof. And eventually, he found a contractor in Rush that was willing to do the job who said he's been doing this job for years, Mm. but we don't know where or how. So the derogation, as provided, was given at the last minute it was restricted in a way that no other derogation is restricted. I should mention to you, Jerry, the, de- the department has issued 45 licenses for reasons of public health and safety in the last few years, and they're escalating. They've issued them to schools, to local authorities. They've issued them to Diageo. They've issued them to South Dublin County Council. But the arrangement on, one the, on which they normally issue them is you have to apply for the license. The ranger has to come out and get up on the ladder and inspect the site. He has to make a report back to the department. They have to send out a legal adjudication as to whether you can do it or not. And on their own admission, that takes six to eight weeks per individual case. But the eggs hatch in 31 days. So I'll let you work out the, the math. I know. It's not, it's not working. So look, this is not working. What are you calling on? We're going to run out of time in a minute or two. What do you want done? What we have been asking was that the full scale of the problem be recognised, that yep. the public health element of it be recognised, and local authorities be brought in, as is the case across Europe. And the UK, in Northern Ireland, in, in England, Scotland, Wales, they all have, in high impact areas, they have services provided under the existing legislation, under the Birds Directive. Okay. That's what's required to protect citizens, because you, you had said, Birdwatch said they're a protected species. Yes. The last time we checked, our children are a protected species. I, I understand that as well. And the other thing I'll tell you, you didn't hear them yesterday. They said this is a man-made problem because their natural habitats have been destroyed. Overfishing in the sea, there's not food for them there. And when they come in, people feed them and they can access uh, rubbish and things like that. And they associate humans and the buildings with now they're a, a natural environment. Well, actually, well, I, I, I haven't got a, a, the final draft of it yet, but our three councillors, Maliki Quinn, Tony Murphy and Gáinne Maguire, are at the end stages with Fingo County Council of producing a publicity pamphlet from the council to be delivered into houses and to be followed up with visits from the environmental health inspectors. We've seen a, a, an up-to-date draft of it. It's on the way. It's a subject of an agreed motion in the council chambers, and it totally addresses that point. But what I would say to you, and that would be a first, first in Ireland, what I would say to you, Jerry, is the food argument has limited truth, for want of a better mm. term. The big numbers, and this has been acknowledged under Freedom of Information by the Department, 
the thousands of gulls that have moved into towns and cities moved when they closed the landfills. I understand. And listen, Tom, I have to go to news now or two. I'm going to come back to this. I'm glad that you clarified some of those points for us today. And I know you've made that point and we see the landfills are closing. And that certainly was a place... Can I make one last point? As quick as you can. If we could influence this situation, the focus would not be on the seagulls. It will be on the department and the minister who have the means to resolve this problem and they keep kicking it down the road. OK, Tom, leave it there for today. I'll be back to you, I promise you. Thanks right, indeed thanks for joining today. me. That's Tom Cardiff, a committee member dealing with the goal issue in Balbriggan. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The Renault Selection used car event is now on. If you want to save thousands, check out this month's offers, including low APR finance, two years warranty and roadside assistance. Terms and conditions apply. See, we're sharp listeners on Late Lunch, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Do you remember last Friday, Chef Adrian Martin was with us on the show? I love when he comes calling. His new book is called Create Beautiful Food at Home. Now, we're not talking to Adrian today, but in the course of that conversation, he mentioned people from County Meath, and their business is called The Fox in the Kitchen, who did the brilliant photography in that book. So our Louise is a sharp one, and straight after the show, she was on the case. And guess what? They're in studio with me today. I'm delighted to welcome two Late Lunch this afternoon, Zeta Fox and Rob Kirkfleet. You're both welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining Hi. me. Now, Zeta, you're the local link here. Yes. yes. You're from Kells, are you? Yeah, I was um, I was born in Kells and I stayed there until I finished school. And then I ended up travelling around for a good while and living in Germany and then Sweden. And then, luckily enough, I was in the right place at the right time and I met Rob. You met this man? Yeah. <laughs> and what were you doing travelling around? I was working in hospitality, so that's okay. my background. So kind of hopping from place to place and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So you met this guy in Sweden. How, <laughs> do you remember how, when and where you met him? Yes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a, a website called Couchsurfing where you can stay um, for free in someone's house but experiencing the city through their eyes. And he ended up applying to my house and I thought, okay, he seems like a an all right guy. So I let him stay in mine. <laughs> so Rob, a Dutch man in Sweden meets an Irish lady and the rest is history. Were you apprehensive applying to that, uh, that lady to go and stay with her? Well, no, it's like I kind of just applied and even I even went on then after again, not even opening my eyes to anything <laughs> and then she wrote back saying yes. you know kind of she okay. wanted to travel with me then again oh, so right. we kind of yeah. met up in Sweden yes. and I travelled on then to Finland Right, that's kind of how we Yeah. and what were you doing at the time? Uh, I was in between jobs at that stage so I kind of I did I studied photography first and then I did a bit of packaging like pack shots that kind of stuff which is I guess the best needed the best way to kind of Start with photography if you want to do product and yes. food photography. It just kind of makes you real quick. So I kind of was, went from that on to working for a Dutch publisher. So I kind of was in between. So I was like, I may as well travel for, I think, a month I did or mm. two months. So, yeah. yeah. And how did the food photography come about? Ooh, well, I don't know, actually. Because um, I'm not, like, I have obviously an interest in food, but I'm not yes. that big into mm. food. Mm. Do you remember how it happened? Or well, well, were you back home here in Ireland when it happened? No, or did this happen? so it would have been, say, in university in Holland, you're introduced to all the different aspects. And one of those 
would have been food photography. So say for the pack shots, um, they would have been food packaging mainly. And then the publishers was the magazine that Rob was working for was a food magazine. Okay. So yeah. um, so that kind of stage you had really figured out food is yeah, it's, it's more so it's quite technical. Yes. Compar- not compared to, but it's a different way of photography than uh, a portrait or whatever. Like mm. so, it's so many different textures in food and that's kind of, I guess, what what I like about it is the real technical aspects of it. Yes, and you're trying to show it in its best light, which is a real challenge, isn't it, at times? Yeah, that is, like, that's the main difference between uh, any other type of photography. It is the light. It's It's slightly different the way you light food than other okay. bigger kind of yeah. stuff. Okay. Yeah. You're not looking for the moment like you would be say in fashion portraits. Wedding, yeah. You're sitting looking at the one thing that hasn't moved for a couple of hours sometimes. So that can be where some people when they say sometimes we get emails of guys asking um, could we maybe come in and have a look and see what you're doing yeah. and we're like okay well you have to remember it's really slow pace so <laughs> if you're expecting like real sexy kind of work it's nothing like that it's washing dishes and (laughs) waiting for rice to cook (laughs) can i say your pictures are sexy pictures of food (laughs) thanks they have most people salivating when they actually (laughs) look at them (laughs) so what you came back to ireland how long ago um it would have been about five years ago now yeah why did you decide to come back and set yeah. up basically? Was that you? Um, well, it was a bit. Like at the time, like Robin been working in the magazine for a good while then and um, it wasn't going great in Holland at that time for food. Um, uh, but at the same time, Ireland was really coming out of their bad situation and food companies were really starting to um, make their way in the, in the country. Yeah. And yes. We decided, okay, we're a little bit not in the right position in Holland. Ireland's looking quite good now. I have the base there. Let's go back to Kells and stay there for a month and figure out whether this is for us. And then five years later, we're fully settled. I love it. I love it. Where did the name come from? A fox in the kitchen? Because that's smart. Yeah, that was kind of something Rob had thought of that um, because my surname is Fox. Um, So, and at the time, the fox was quite trendy as well it was you know you'd saw it everywhere on different things and we were playing around with photos because I kind of wanted to see what it was like working in that area and Rob thought you know you're the fox in the kitchen right there so <laughs> yeah it's, yeah, like, it's my surname obviously doesn't work as well, so, <laughs> I'm just looking know. at that Kirkfleet in the kitchen no yeah. doesn't no doesn't have the same Rob in it. the kitchen no don't like I like the fox analogy yeah. I really do but Here's the thing. You have to then make your way. You have to, you know, carve out a, mm. a, a business for yourselves, make your mark. Yeah. How do you do that? Uh, can you remember what was the, the maybe the break you got that brought you to a lot of people's attention? Uh, well, I guess I obviously had a portfolio from Holland, so yeah. I didn't need to make yeah. a whole new portfolio. It's just meeting the right people. Mm. And it is one lady that's kind of that I met and, and she just spread the word. And from there on, it kind of. Word of mouth. Is word of mouth a big thing? Was that a big thing for you? Yes. Yeah, and that was the issue that we had in Holland because we were thinking of doing the exact same thing in Holland uh, because we loved living there. But um, in Holland, it's not who you know at all. It's very much each job, you have to reapply for it and reapply. But in Ireland, it's everyone's so like, oh, 
I know someone. Everyone wants to recommend that person. So for us, that's great because, you know, especially if we're working with a client, the best situation we can have is if they move to another company because then usually they stay in the same food and then we're in a different company, a different company. They bring you with them then. exactly. Clever, clever. Mm. Can I say you have an impressive portfolio of clients? you. You really have. Yeah. Uh, the great and the good are all there and yeah. you're doing your stuff for them as well, yeah. you know. Come back to that point again. When you when you have to photograph food mm. for people, it's not just a question of going in with your iPhone and going pink. Completely, yeah. No. It's time consuming, yes? Yes, yeah. Like our photos can range from some clients we have, we aim to do two photos a day mm. and other clients you're looking at it, it's like, okay, well, we have to get 30 shots done today. So, you know, it's it's completely varying. Differing demands. Yeah, from- different types of usage for the photos, different types of clients, different looks, different types of food as well. So all food reacts very differently. Just different qualities, I guess, yeah. Like if you spent only half an hour on a photo or you spent half a day, obviously you get yeah. different quality, yes. and you then know, different from expectations. Yeah. Different budgets as well. Mm, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Adrian's book is magnificent mm. and I congratulate you again. It's Thank only you. one example of your mm. vast portfolio of work. Um, does that? How long does a book take? You know, with all the shots that were in that book, you do that over a period of time, is it? Or do yeah. you do it near to the publishing date? I'm curious about that. Um, that depends on everyone's schedules, when they're planning, to, if they even know when they're going to print it as well. So something like Adrian's book, like Adrian is so experienced in um, cooking fast and he knows how to make food look good. So we did that book in four days and that was four very long days for him because... He was cooking... Yeah. All of the dishes. Yeah. You stayed with him in camp for four days and took all those shots. Mm, Yeah. Did you eat the food? Oh, yeah, of course. You couldn't throw all that away. (laughs) The perks of the job. (laughs) Yeah. Stuff like that is really good. So in cookbooks, because the food is all very um, fresh and real, so you can eat it. But generally for other things, you do not want to touch that food. Mm. No. It's... uh, it's one aspect. The book is, of course. Mm. What about today where we have our books, our magazines, we have the online world. Mm. How big is that for you people in your business now? So for in terms of like social media yes. and stuff? Yeah, it's like a lot of our clients, no matter how big or small, they all have to have... Um, their area in social media so they're all trying to make it look like they haven't put much effort into it because that's you know that Mm. that's the trend so um all clients they want this photo has to go on this but also can you make it to fit for social media and they also have to be disposable because people they see a photo they don't want to see that photo again so you have to be constantly changing up the style and imagery is so disposable now so that's really good for us because then we have to get called in more repeatedly <laughs> they are on top of their game one of the best in the business and they're based in Kells in County Mead a fox in the kitchen is the name Zeta Fox and Rob Kirkfleet are with me on Late Lunch and we're going to hear about the tricks of the trade go nowhere in a couple of moments we were just talking off mic there and it is true isn't it that when you get a cookery book well mm. this is me anyway I have to see the photograph of yeah, the dishes. Totally, yeah. If there's no photo attached to a recipe, it can be very hard for you to really connect and think, okay, yeah, that's what I want to have in front of me tonight. Yeah, mm. especially if it's like a cuisine you're not familiar with. You yes. Know, and you don't know what it's supposed to be even looking like. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, it's a real reference point because yeah. when you work at it and then you can look as well and say, mm, I, I know the taste and everything yeah. is important. Now here, tricks of the trade. Yeah. I can't believe this. I just can't believe this. I love <laughs> roast chicken. It's probably my favourite dinner of all time. Mm. Polishing a chicken. Yeah, this can be something as well that like a lot of um, stylists have their own way. And, you know, each stylist has their the way they like to do things. It's like their signature. So um, I I have never done it personally, but I know that some put I don't think any in this country, though, but they put uh, shoe polish on and that can be give that glazed and that real roasted brown bronzy look. So that's it. So don't be fooled by that, folks. When you see it again, it could be polished. Not, of course, a fox in the kitchen. Never, ever, ever. What about ice cream? You wanted to talk yeah. a bit about photographing ice cream. That must be tricky. Yeah, that can be um, because obviously ice cream by its own like issues, it melts. So if it's under hot studio lights as well, it's just going to go. And if, say, ice cream is meant for on the front of a box, um, it's going to disappear really quickly. So the issue that we have with that is you have to fake it. But also with regulations, you're not allowed to fake it because it's um, it's false advertising. So what do you do? So in that case, if you're selling the cone, you can fake the ice cream. Okay. But if you're selling the ice cream, you have to use the real thing. So there's certain things like speed is one of them if you have to shoot the ice cream you just have to work with a power freezer and moving it right yes. there and getting that right second and then repeating that all day just to get the right one yeah and obviously you have everything set up yeah and it's just that final you might have shot 20 30 ice creams before the final one yeah you know so you do every fi- little fine tune on all the yeah i'm just envisaging both in a freezer yeah, pretty much. We did one recently and we had the, they had to move the icebox right beside the camera. So we didn't even need to really move it that close. Yeah. And then a lot of the time it comes down to a decision. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Between myself and Rob, how hard, who has more work to do? Like, is it if I do this 
extra bit of work, would that help it? Or is Rob's editing going to be easier yeah. on me? And so it's kind of, we're constantly discussing like, what can you do? What can so I do? So do you see to prepare the food for the shot and you take the shot? Is that the way it works? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, most okay. of the time. Yeah. Okay. So Rob is always behind the camera. Yes. And I'm always um, with the food. Mm. And then with that, you also have what goes around the food. So the backgrounds, the plates, the napkins, that's a huge part of my job as well. Kind of um, directing how everything should look and feel in the image because it's a lot of the time we could be shooting on a table like you have today and you have to create a summer barbecue feeling. So you really have to bring everything with you. You are really creative, (laughs) even more so as I hear you describe (laughs) what you do as well. And you too, of course, Rob. Um, Toothpicks. (laughs) Cotton buds. Yeah. Yeah. My tools of the trade, aren't they? Yeah. So as um, a stylist, every stylist has their own kit. And within that, it's everything that you have to bring to a shoot because you don't know what mess is going to happen and what you might need to stand and hold its own. So you have your bottles of glycerin you have your is that another one? Oh, another yeah, huge. very important yeah i if i run out if i know i'm coming low on glycerin i have to run out and stock up um a lot of stuff i get on amazon as well like just random like dentistry tools um cotton buds anything that won't release any lint because then if it's blown up really big say on a billboard you could maybe see that little bit of lint that we've missed yes stuff like that you have to be really prepared for Mm. so there's a lot to this much more than meets the eye you do food photography books advertising online uh lifestyle i saw you mentioned in your website what's the lifestyle part of this yeah lifestyle is kind of um it's it's mostly i guess your uh, like Obviously, people, I guess it's the people that make the food, such so as butchers, your farmers. It's okay. Kinda, yes, yeah. I see. Kinda, I it's see. still kind of food yes. related, but. Yeah. Yes. Here's the thing. How he is at home. What does it look like on the plate in your kitchen when you eat? Are you perfectionists? Oh, we're generally eating from the pot. No, we, like, generally we are very normal we're just like everybody else like it's um but saying that if i end up baking a pie and it's the right time of day and i'm thinking okay this is looking really nice i will place it under something nice and take a photo of my phone and throw it up on instagram you know just while i have the chance (laughs) but a lot of the time if it's dinner time it's too dark and it's just like the rest of us oh completely get it on the plate there and get it in exactly completely you're busy, busy people and you're mm. young people and you're very successful young mm. people as well. Do you need more work? Do, how do you look? You know, or, you know, you're at a stage now, let's be honest about it. When you started off, you're finding your way and yeah. you're building up, but you're established now. Yeah. But how is that? It's very lucky and yeah. it's a very secure feeling as well. It's because a lot of um freelancers don't have that advantage where they can if we have a quiet week like say this week is really quiet for us and we can just enjoy it and catch up with admin and clean the house and stuff do a radio interview yeah exactly but saying that like we have a lot of very good regular clients that um we've built very strong relationships with us 
but saying that you never know what could happen that company tomorrow. Mm. So you're constantly um, trying to build new relationships, network with people. Um, but the clients that you have that you work with on a very regular basis, you have to keep happy and make sure that they get the dates that they want. You're loving what you do. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. Well, yeah, we do. Yeah, I guess uh, we yeah. couldn't be, I guess, in a better spot. Mm, it comes across in your work. You know what I mean? Like you have to have that. It reflects. It really does, may I say to you. And you, you like, you come into this in a way mm. that you probably didn't. Did you see yourself in this space a number of years back? Uh, well, I guess I would more so than Zita. I yes. guess for Zita was more so when she met me. She kind of. Okay. Only then got invited to the whole world yes. of yeah. food styling. Realised that it was actually a career. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it is one of those careers, like, you don't really realise until you start looking around and you see all all the food around. Like, yeah. if you drive around even, there's so many advertisements of food. Absolutely. And mm. someone has to do yeah. that yeah. job. <laughs> exactly. And aren't you doing it so well? You really are. Listen, it's great to talk to you on Late Lunch this afternoon. Thank you for dropping in on your you little down us. week. <laughs> yeah. It's Easter time anyway, so yeah. the holidays will be over this weekend. Continued success to both of you. A Thank fox you. in the kitchen. That's who we've been talking to on Late Lunch for the last while. And I want to say a big thank you to Zeta Fox and Rob Kirkfleet for joining me on the show. Back to the goals. Yes, you're having your say on social media to us. Uh, David Martin's been on to say if people didn't dump their food scraps outside on the grass, that wouldn't be such a problem. Neil McKeown, it's evolution, Jerry. They're taking over. Humans had their chance. I love it, Neil. And Andy's been on to say they're only doing what's natural. We are the ones that are causing the problem. And another message by text, as this problem is in part created by people and extending further northwards by the year. Maybe it's time for the government to stop the Dublin building sprawl along the coast and realise there are 20 odd other counties with dwindling populations and industries. Celebrities who feel they have to live with sea views from Greystones to Dundalk could fund remedial measures for natives. I like your comment. Dennis Cochran has benefited from the support of the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust on a couple of occasions and he's on the line. Dennis, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Anne-Marie, tell us her story back 2015. What happened? Well, I suppose our first connection with Kevin Bell would, would have been um, a relation of ours that died in 2015 out in Australia and we just... Um, came together as a group and raised money. Oh, we came together. She died in Australia and Kevin Bell repatriated her body back to Ireland. And we ran a couple of um, truck runs back in 2015 and 2016 and raised a few quid at the time. Well, I'm going to tell listeners what you raised. Over €80,000, which is a massive amount. Now, just back to Kevin Bell, because we're familiar with them on Late Lunch. When this crisis hit your family, they took over, they did everything. You couldn't speak highly enough about them, could you? No, it was fantastic. Now, now it was a cousin of, it was yeah. a cousin of mine. And on the same on the occasion that I came upon us at Christmas this year, um, when our good friend and colleague in the, in the parish, Ollie Jared, um, died in, in, in tragic circumstances in Tenerife, we call him Kevin Bell again. So that was twice in your experience, direct experience for you. Well, you know, I, yeah. Ali was just a friend of mine and a work yes. colleague, and um, yeah. we can't. Well, the family contacted Kevin, and um, 
or Colin, uh, which is the father who yes, runs Colin Bell, I know him, yeah. And they repatriate Ollie's body back here to Ireland as speedily as they could. Mm. And it was a few, um, a couple of days uh, delay with the Christmas and all that was to it. So we came together after Christmas then, after after the funeral and a few things, a few friends of Ollie's and ourselves got together and we decided we'd have to do um, a charity or a benefit to um, put something back in again yeah. on, on this occasion. So I suppose we, we a lot of the lads that are around here and, and people are involved in the farmer community and, and trucks and that, so we said we'd come together and do... Um, we do a, a combined tractor, truck and vintage run this year uh, in, in honour of Ali, in memory of Ali. Yes. So that's how it came around this year. And it's happening on the 5th of May, the bank holiday weekend, uh, starting at your place, Gochran's, in, in Ballinlock. Well, yeah, Saturn and Gochran Brothers were congregating there, everybody at uh, registration from between 11 and 1. And uh, we're leaving our, the yard there, Gochran Brothers Yard in Ballinlock, and we're going on two different routes. The trucks and vintage cars will be going to heading for Mullingar, mm. and uh, we're stopping off at Riley's in Ballinlack for refreshments there, and back to Ballinlack on return. And the tractors will be going uh, to Killallan and on down to Glenaiden to uh, Sean Dine's pub there, where they're going to get refreshments there and, f- and fed and watered there. And back to Ballinlack, where we both have an evening there of entertainment lined up uh, with a few different bands and country band and a rock band and a couple of different things like that. Uh, the Pint Men are playing. And Ollie was a great, he was a great lover of the country and music scene. He followed around all his life and there's a, a dance troupe coming as well to do a little. Okay, and where is that on? That's on in Riley's pub just next door to the, to, to the yard where the lorries and vehicles okay okay and and just before we finish the one thing about kevin bell is they ask no questions they get in there and they do what's needed it's such a help to families in crisis do they ask you to do anything subsequently or do people just do it well uh, no we were never asked to do that yeah. we, we just know that this is you know it, it's good to give something back yeah. and uh, whether you give whether you cover the cost of the of the whole repatriation or you don't, Kevin doesn't say anything. He doesn't yes. mind one way or the other. You're not doing it for as such for Ollie. You're doing it for the next person. Okay. You, you know, there's always something. Yeah, yeah. There always is down the road. Dennis, have to leave it there today. Nice to mention, and we'll plug it again before the event itself on the fifth of May. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you, Jerry. Not at all. You're very welcome. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Up next, Adam Dunn's in town. He's never been to Ireland. He's tracing his family. Stay with us. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Now, cast your mind back a few weeks and we talked to a guy in the UK. His name was Adam Dunn and he had inherited a treasure trove of history from his grandfather and great-grandfather and way back in his family, to be honest. And he told me on the show back then that he'd never been to Ireland. And guess what? He's here now. He's in the studio with us. And he's joined here by... She calls herself his roadie. I think she's his guide while in Ireland. A family relative, Marg Everett. So, Marg and Adam, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you both for joining Thank you for having us. Adam, you're here after the telephone (laughs) conversation. Yeah, I've made it. You have, as as promised. Well, first impressions of the home and the hometown of your ancestors. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it almost feels like home. 
Really? Yeah, it really does, yeah. Because I've seen it in so many pictures and I've obviously gone down the streets on Google Maps. I do know it somewhat well, but it just seems very familiar. Yeah. So, so the reality is even better than... Oh, yeah. completely. The online experience yeah. today, sort of going around sort of different places and bumping into people and just sort of mentioning... And the, the, the thing that sort of seems to have kind of held it all together is that so many people have read what Adam has been posting on the Draw to Down Memory Lane page, you know, on Facebook. And that's, that's kind of... People yeah. say, oh, yeah, we know who you are. And instantly... It, it's like you've been here all your life. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Isn't it terrific yeah. to hear that? Now, you went, I know, to see this house in Trinity Gardens mm. where your folks came from. What was that like to stand there? Very surreal. Because I was trying to describe it. It's almost like when you've seen, like, New York on sort of movies and pictures and then when you're actually there and you're stood at the bottom of the Empire State Building looking up, it was almost like that. So standing in front of it, you couldn't get your mind around it because it seemed almost like a something from a book. Mm. So to see stand in front of it and be what, looking at it, I couldn't get my my head around it. <laughs> yeah. Now the home place for the Dunn family, there are no Dunns in that house anymore. No, no. Did you go no. up and knock the door? <gasps> I didn't. I didn't. But one of the neighbours came out of the house. Mm-hmm. And she got talking to us and she said, oh, the, the person who's in the house at the moment is actually walking the dog or something, I think, mm-hmm. wasn't it? And um, they did say, come back either later tonight or tomorrow and they'll let her know that we dropped by and we might even be able to go in the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did yeah. you tell her who you were or your reason for being there? Yeah, well, she was um, outside um, getting some air and um, I sort of just thought oh do you know what I'm just going to come and say hello so I went up and said oh do you know who's living in the house now and she said oh yes 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 and then she I think she said are you Adam from <laughs> from Jordan down memory lane yeah, and I was just like well yeah I'm, I'm one of the members that are sort of uploading <laughs> loads of yeah. stuff on there and she goes oh yes my daughter's been telling me all about you and blah 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 <laughs> and we got we, we ended up stood there for about what we must have been there for over a, an hour, an hour? <laughs> talking yeah. to her it was yeah. amazing yeah yeah, because she was saying, oh, yes, I remember Mrs. Dunn. I remember this. Yeah. I remember that. And then the husband. So she remembers. She remembers. Your yeah. family. My which family. Is very yeah. special as well. Yeah. Remind our listeners about your connection to that house. How far do you go back? So, I mean, I've been tracing my family and I've got a piece of paper which goes back to 1691, which I've got with me here. <laughs> so 1691, but I can't trace it myself that far back. Yeah. But what I've traced through Marg here is yeah. back to about the late 1700s, 1800s, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But um, they moved into Trinity Gardens when it was first built. They were first mm. people to move into that that street and that was in 1930, 1931. Mm. So before that, they were living in Narrow West Street, which mm. we've also been to today mm. and got talking mm. to a very, very friendly man outside yeah. and he was telling us all the history. And then before that, there was a brief house on Thomas Street mm. And then they also lived in Cord Road, which, oddly enough, is where we're staying yeah. while we're down here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only houses away from the house yeah. that my family were living in. <laughs> well, how ironic is mm. that? Yeah. That you're staying there. Mm. My God, you're really steeping we, yourself. As we landed in last night, we arrived late last night and we parked outside the pub. And the first thing we see 
is a van with Flanagan written on the side of it. So we feel yeah. so, somehow we're being watched. Yeah, we're being guided <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because that Flanagan name is. Yeah, that's the name. Yeah, that, yeah. it's the Duns and the Flanagans. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So they are your family names, mm. and they are the people who lived here for generations as well. Mm. What about you? How come? you ended up in the uk or you were born there complete that yeah. story for us so richie dunn who um is my granddad he eventually moved to the uk um sort of as he sort of met my my nan pamela and then they sort of settled there they did come back to ireland briefly to have um a couple of of my uh, my aunts and then moved back to england and had my dad so that's how i sort of came about <laughs> was through my granddad moving to england yes yeah but the connection is made with what has been left to you in terms of family documents and information. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as I was growing up, he, he, he you couldn't shut him up. He just loved talking about Jorda. He loved talking about the Duns and the Flanagans. He was in his element when he was talking about the family history. So growing up from a young age, that's all I ever heard was family, 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 family. And... Um, when I got to an age that I could really appreciate it, he started slipping me the odd photograph or the odd piece of paper and told me to keep it and treasure it, which I sort of did do, but I didn't really understand it quite as much as I do now. Unfortunately, he's passed. Um, but in the last sort of few months when he was alive, he did offload more and more and more stuff to me. And then it was after he passed away, my nan said, right, just take everything that he's got because um, the rest of the family are interested but not on the scale I am so she knew that by ha me having it it would definitely be looked after well and I've now put it all into order um, and I'm now sort of building the family tree mm. on Ancestry.com which is how I met Marg mm. um, and now we're going down the streets that he mentions in his book that he wrote which is a massive thick book and going to all the locations mm. so bringing them to life History yeah. coming to life yeah. as yeah. we speak. Yeah. Mark, tell yeah. us again how you and Adam are related. How we're connected. I mean, basically what got me going with all of this was, I mean, I grew up grew up in England, grew up in Liverpool, but my mum's from RD, she's local, but she had always told me that her grandfather was buried in Flanders. I never knew where Flanders was. Discovered who, where it was, discovered who he was, and started building the family tree. I mean, he was James Flanagan. He was born on William Street here. And so I started building my tree on Anstey. I've been doing that for about 10 years or so. And then just before, in December, um, I get this message from this young man here who says, basically, I think I'm related to this James Flanagan. So he knew there was a connection there. And so when Adam got in touch with me and we realised, then we sort of started putting the bits together. So basically, if you sort of put it in the actual way we are, my great-granddad is Adam's great great granddad's younger brother <laughs> i have it you meet yourself coming back <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. you are related and that we is yeah. Uh, yeah. the important thing mm. now when you come back here and you walk the streets and you knock the doors and you talk to people <laughs> and you experience this are there any relatives of yours living here today on the flanagan or dunn sides not no. that i can think of mm. no i think they've all isn't that away. strange, yeah, yeah. yeah. that there's yeah. actually nobody? Mm. 
Mm. There's not, no. Yeah. So you're, you're here, but really in a here way... You're false pretense. Yeah, no, 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 not, no, no not, not at all. Not at all, let me say. No, 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 no. But, but they might not be here, but they're d- definitely still alive through us, aren't they? Because oh, it's yeah. like today, for instance, yeah. I've got this old photograph that I uploaded onto the Drawder Down Memory Lane, and it's a picture of school photograph outside this building, and my granddad's sat probably as a four or five-year-old boy on the floor... We found the school today, okay, found the exact same wall. We matched up all the bricks and the, the tiles yeah, and everything. And I actually it. sat on the floor in the same position as my granddad yeah. and took, this, and took <laughs> the took photograph. The so I've now got me. I can overlap it on the yeah. same photograph. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that fantastic? It's amazing. And that's yeah. connecting. Even yeah. though there may not yeah. be people physically here, mm. now you are actually connecting yeah. in a strange type of way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You have a treasure trove, I said. There is so much stuff that you've been left to be the guardian of. Yeah, I mean, I've got... It must be hundreds of photographs now. Yeah, photographs, letters, postcards. Mm. Um, I even got my great-granddad's World War I medals mm. as well, so I've got those. And I also... I didn't realise at the time, um, I got these two oil paintings. Well, they're, they're prints of oil mm. paintings. And my nan, my nan said to me, oh, you might as well take those. They belong to your great-grandmother mm. and I, they weren't really my taste but I thought well they belong to her mm. that's you know something nice to keep and then it was only when I was reading my granddad's um, sort of memoirs it says that it was the when they moved into Trinity Gardens in 1930 or 1931 it was the Flanagans from Magdalen Madeline Madeline Street Magdalen Street yeah who gave it to them so again I was like oh perfect yeah so mm. I like them even more now <laughs> there's more family history associated with yeah. them yeah yeah, yeah. It's wonderful, wonderful story, you know, the way it's come to be. And, you know, that you're here now. You've arrived and you're actually able to walk the streets, see the buildings, get a real feel for the place. Yeah. Would it tempt you to come back? Would you be interested? You know, is this a once-off visit? No, no, no. I'd love to come back. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm already planning the next trip. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, I'm only here for a week, but we've packed in so much in this week that I definitely need to come back for another two weeks, I think, soon. Yeah, Yeah, and do it all again. And the year you're talking about, those photographs and everything you've been left, what years are we talking about typically? Well, the earliest photograph that I've got, well, we've Mm. got, we actually have the same one, dates Mm. from about the 1870s, 1880s, and that's my great great granddad and his first wife mm. joe flanagan mm. so that's about 1817 80 mm-hmm. 80 the early days of photography mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. yeah yeah well, yeah. Much, yeah and then the ones that my granddad actually had were probably well from the 1920s 30s and 40s mm. yeah and you know you have history you know there's people mm. in this town and area would be very interested i'm sure in talking and hearing from you more because what you have can piece together a picture mm. of a time that's gone at this stage it's true. I mean, that's what people I think are in, enjoying the most is the fact that when I take these little snippets out of my granddad's memoirs and put them onto this drawer down memory lane, they're either remembering this stuff that they'd forgotten, mm. or it was really interesting for them to actually hear about what drawer used to be like. Mm. So thanks to my granddad, I can let everyone know what drawer used to be like mm. back in the days. Yeah, mind it, treasure it, look mm. after it, share it, Absolutely. continue to do that. And continue to enjoy your time, your first time here, yeah. Adam, in Ireland as well. And look, it's great to meet yourself and Marg. Everett. Thank you. Dropping in here today has been a real pleasure to talk to you again and remind people of your story. Wish you well for the remainder of your time here and uh, don't leave it too long until you're back. Yes, exactly. Yes, it feels like home. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much both for joining me Thanks. on the show. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, really. Thank you. Thank you.
How would you like to go walking in the Cooley Mountains this coming weekend? For a very special reason, you really will be helping two wonderful charities. We're going to talk about the Cross Cooley Challenge for the next while, and I'm joined on the show by uh, Paula Dowdle from the Maria Goretti Foundation, Mauro Callens here from the North Loud Hospice, and Seamus Gormley, yes, one of the organisers of the Cross Cooley Challenge, is with us as well. You're all very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Start with yourself, Seamus, the seventh year. Seventh year, seventh year, Jerry, and uh, I suppose uh, first year we we decided we wanted to do something um, for hospice originally, and we had our reasons for doing that. It was one of our members uh, had uh, recently had his uh, well his his wife deceased, and and we seen the the job that the hospice done, the caring that they give, and and uh, uh, what the the brought sanity to sometimes. Uh, things that weren't that sane so um, all that uh, considered we, we decided we wanted to do something and this is what we came up with do you know what I'm going to do I'm going to switch our mic just switch that over there for a second and take that one there and let me get rid of this one for one moment sorry about that and we'll get you going on that one there because I don't know what's going on with that one there now that's a little bit better so seventh year last year just tell me how many people took part um, in excess of 500 okay took part last year 520 okay and uh, 520 people taking part and what what are you hoping for this year? Um, well, we have, we have two types of people, I suppose. We have our, our customers. We have people that's actually walked with us for the last seven years. Uh, they're very consistent. They're very loyal. They will be back. They've taken sponsorship cards. They go out there and uh, they challenge. They're taking the challenge. So they challenge their friends, their fellow workers. They challenge their family. To come back with, 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 with money to us and we, we were just in awe of what they do for us. That, that's one type of client that we have. The second, the second client we have is uh, probably, the, we call them the walk-ins, so the person that turns up on the day, Jerry. Uh, and maybe they're sometimes our fair-weather friends, but uh, they're, no, they're our friends. Uh, uh, we charge them 20 euros uh, for participating in the walk. If it's a family, 50 euros. Um, for that, they'll get a, a free bus out to, to to the start of the walk. They'll get a bus back into town, and there'll be some little goodies along the way. We have a, a few little surprises always for the walkers. It's a great number of people that support you every year. And as you said, you started with three twenty last year, ended up with over five hundred people on the mountain on the day. Where does it start from? Because what you're looking for this year, you really are looking for people to get out there and walk this Saturday with you. How? Where do they go to register? Oh well, originally we we've we've we have a lot of cards out. Yes. We, we we got five hundred cards printed. Uh, we know that there's over well over three hundred of them in placement at the moment. That people are rattling boxes all around the place for us, and that will that will be an income stream for us. It's a, a fund flow, if you like. Um, the rest is probably through things like Facebook. Uh, We've had, in the last week, we've had over a thousand hits on Facebook. A lot of people, a lot of chatter going on. Mm. Young people saying to each other, come on, we'll do this. Um, you know, let's get interested. Do you want to go? I'll go if you go. This sort of thing. And there are people that will appear on the day. They'll give us 20 euros and we're very, very happy to have them. To get that. Where do they go? Come back to that point again. Where Where are you assembling? Oh, where are we assembling? Oh, two points. Um, where first registration, if you're around town Dundalk uh, come into the Green Ore Railway Saloon 9 o'clock onwards on Saturday morning first buses will leave at 10 and they'll bring you out to the back of the Lumpers where you'll walk up to the start at Ballymagelligot and uh, 
um, there you'll have another point of registration if 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 that's where you turn up in your own car or if if somebody gets you dropped off you can just come to the start of the race and register everybody it's just important before we get this out of the way everybody that goes up the mountain with us must register and must sign off that they're with us this is health and safety yes it's nothing to do with us it's part of our insurance and we need it and if you want to go to that start point and not into the town of Dundalk where do you assemble there where is that point that point is, yeah, the Lumpers Pub is a very, very well-known, uh, for for all the good and yes. wrong reasons, uh, it's a very well-known pub in... in, in is there in parking Cody, there? In Ravensdale, yes. there is parking there. And okay. there's parking at the football club across the road as well. Okay. Uh, parking hasn't hasn't been a problem. Um, I, I suppose people that park there have to get back to their cars from... from you know they're going to be they're going to be walking across literally two mountains and going into to Carlingford, so they have some means of getting back to the cars. Buses, there is a bus uh, provided by by Sevens by by the Lumpers, and that will bring them back to the Lumpers to the point where they leave their car. Where they leave their car. And, and what about people that finish there that have registered in Dundalk? They will have transport back oh, into the Dundalk. The buses will bring them back into from Dundalk Carlingford. Well, from Carlingford. Okay, so so the, you're not going to be left out there. What distance are we talking about here? Fifteen. On on my phone last year, fifteen point four kilometres. Okay, so it's a reasonable walk. So it is, and you need to be attired well for this. Yes. Um. Listen, dress appropriately for the weather. Okay, that's it. Always good footwear. And we do say there is a weather warning issued for Ireland this Saturday, but it's for the south of the country, we're saying. Uh, Storm Hannah, I think, is coming our way, but they're definitely saying it's the southern counties. It'll be a little bit breezy on that up this neck of the woods, but expecting the entertainment. Absolutely. It certainly the entertainment. Will. Absolutely. Let's bring the ladies into the conversation who are with us. Starting first with Paula Dowdle from the Maria Goretti Foundation. You're very welcome to Late Lunch, Paula. Thanks, Jerry. Um, Tell us a little bit about Maria Goretti. How long are you there now? When did you open? We kicked off in 2014. September 2014 is when we opened our doors first for respite. For the summer before that, we'd done like a summer camp. It was just to get us up and running, I suppose. And But we, we took our first children in September 2014 for overnight care. So um, we've gone from strength to strength, thankfully, from 2014. Um, I suppose... On our cards at the moment, we've over 20 or over, sorry, 80 plus families that we help. So and that number keeps rising as the years go on. So and we take children from six years of age to 18 years. So every year we'll be getting six year olds in and every year, unfortunately, the 18 year olds have to move off on the other side. How many children can you cater for at one time there? We can cater from anything from four to six children at a time, but it just all depends on the the need for that child. Some yeah. children might need two um, staff per that child. So it just all depends on a nightly basis how many we take in. I would say for families who can avail of you, yeah. it's just unbelievable. It has. It's been incredible. And in fairness, um, we have rehab care. They look after the children for us. But uh, at Christmas time, we do like a Christmas party for them and all the children come and their parents come. And it's only then that we find out what it really means to the parents. Mm. Like a lot of them have come up and just hugged me and said, you don't realise what you're doing for us. Do you know? And like, as they say, we're, we're not doing anything spectacular. We're not doing anything when they leave the kids off. We're going home to go to bed, nearly some of them. Mm. So when you hear things like that, you don't half realise how grateful you are for your own family and your life. So um, we're just delighted that we're able to help them. 
How important is the contribution from the Cross Cooley Challenge to the Maria Goretti? Without people like Seamus and the lads, we wouldn't be able to fund. We wouldn't be able to fund the yeah. centre to the way. And we, at the very beginning when we started all this, we always said that it was going to be of high standards. And really, what we were trying to um, give the children was a home away from home for them. It was never going to be hospital like. It was never going to be like that. They were going somewhere that they weren't going to enjoy. So really, what we do with the fundraising money that we get from Seamus, we've. First of all, what we've done is we've built on a sensory garden, which was one of our wish lists from the children because they love the outdoors. Like we've a wheelchair swinging and some of the children in wheelchairs never got to go on a mm. swing before. Each time they come to stay with us, it's the first thing they go on. Yes. You know, we've also built like a glass house and they've learned to build our, you know, their, their, um, their own tomatoes. They grow their own stuff in it now. So we're teaching them stuff as they come in. So they don't physically come in and, and do nothing for the yes. two days. Yeah. The other thing is we take them on fun activities while they're there. A lot of them would be into Dundalk FC. We would take them kids in on a Friday night to the match you know and take them into the match mm. but that's all fundraising we don't want to put extra pressure on parents to give us funding to yes. do these things so this money so is essential money, to all of that yeah. Not loud hospice Mauro Callan for you yes again this is essential support of course it is and I mean this is the seventh year that the guys Seamus and uh, Earl Fergus uh, the other guys and all of the women that help that have supported us supported North Louth Hospice North Louth Hospice is in existence now for over 25 years we have no funding we get no funding from any government so we're totally relying on our own fundraising and on the likes of the Cooley Challenge and other organisations that fundraise for us mm. um, we work hand in hand with we're there to support cancer patients and their families in the North Louth area area. We work through the public health nurses, through the palliative care team and through the uh, local, through their own doctors and consultants. Um, we, I suppose it starts by patients that are diagnosed with cancer and to get for their treatment, to get for their treatment, we provide voluntary drivers, totally free to take the patients from their home, further treatment, wait for them and take them back home again. It's an so invaluable service. It is it? The, mm. It's one of the best services going, really. And I'm just remembering here, you are our local, our unsung hero, aren't you, uh, on LMFM for the month of January. I'm sure you were nominated, your group. Yes, maybe you yes, weren't directly we were, involved, yes. but you were nominated. We were, that's you, right. you were the yeah, first winners. You. Yes, and congratulations to you. That. Yes. Just, I just remember that, uh, yes, that you're here yeah. with me. Yeah. But at a time of crisis for families, you're there. You're we're helping them at home. You're there. bringing them to treatment. That support network is... So Absolutely. It goes on from that then that through the through the fundraising that we get and the money that that's given to us, we're able to provide vouchers for food, petrol, home heating oil, gas, anything that's needed yes. within the family. Mm. We also provide specialist equipment, uh, high high uh, dependency beds and mattresses. Anything that's needed to try to ease the, the um, situation for the family and for the patients in their own homes. Yes. 20 euro contribution, Seamus. Isn't that what you said to me? That's all you're asking for. 20 euros. 20 euros on registration. Family, 50 euros, please. Um, I, I suppose, Jerry, one of the things that, that, that we find from this 
is that everybody that comes down that they get a sense of 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 uh, just they've they've done something they've they've felt that they've actually done something and they can see what's being created by these lovely ladies here for other people and and. Uh, it is a way of helping. It's a great day out. It's great fun. Uh, it's healthy. We actually have some people who uh, have went across the Cooley Challenge who are in our presence here today, Jerry. And that was the first time while living in Cooley all their lives that they'd been across the mountains and they found it a great experience. I see so it's a uh, fun day out. Paula Dowdle laughing when you say that. Just remind us again, on Saturday morning, registration in Dundalk. At in what Dundalk time? at the Green Ore Railway Saloon starting at 9 Buses, first bus away at 10, uh, at the regist- at, out at the start, uh, behind the Lumpers pub, registration starts at 10, walk starts at 11, all welcome. Last word, final word to you. When they come across the first mountain, lovely tea and coffee will be ready and waiting for that them. That was a surprise, Maura. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's a surprise they should know about because that will encourage more people. Oh, Don't worry, Mom. Let's go on. Relax, 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 Maura. Don't be worried at all, Maura. What is going to happen is now more people are actually going to go when they hear they're going to be fed at the halfway point going across the mountains. Well, but I won't tell it. No, keep that then as a secret. That is a surprise. <laughs> anyway, it's the seventh year Cross Cooley Challenge. If you can get out on Saturday, do go. Support these wonderful people. And thank Thank you again to the North Louth Hospice and the Maria Goretti Foundation for all you do for so many people that we never actually hear about. Thank you all for joining me on the show today. Just to tell you before we go, Merlo is a red wine and Teresa Finnegan, Finnegan, you are going along to that spoken word and wine tasting night at the Highlands Gallery on the 4th of May. Drogheda Arts Festival. Check them out. DrogheadaArtsFestival.ie That's it. See you tomorrow, Friday, for the final show of the week. Fasten your seatbelts. Women with opinions. They're with us tomorrow. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The Renault Selection used car event is now on. If you want to save thousands, check out this month's offers, including low APR finance, two years warranty and roadside assistance. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.